Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member Lateral Monkey shares her story from a non-target school all the way to the front office at a bulge bracket investment bank. Find out what helped her land a rare sophomore summer internship in capital markets and why she despised it, why she stayed at the same bank for her junior summer, and what saved her time and time again. This is part one of a two-part series. Enjoy. Lateral Monkey, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Thank you for having me. So it'd be great if you could just give the listeners a brief overview of your background. Sure. So I graduated from a small liberal arts college in 2016. Um, I'm originally from the Midwest, the Rust Belt, and I majored in economics with a minor in a regional studies, uh, with a regional studies focus. And I ended up going to a bulge bracket investment bank. I did two summers in investment banking during college. Um, in between, I also co-founded a startup uh, focused on the healthcare industry. Um, I, I did an AMA on this in Wall Street Oasis, but I ended up leaving my investment banking job um, to go to a more back office oriented role. It was a strategy role focused on the implementation of artificial, artificial intelligence processes mm-hmm. on the bank. And then I have since actually left that role. Um, I backpacked around the world for a few months, and I am now uh, looking at opportunities. So I've had a bit of a varied background, done a bunch of different things, uh, slightly unconventional um, background for a person. I think I should also mention that I am a woman of color. Um, So definitely not the, the most typical profile for an investment banker, but it's been fun. That's interesting. So I, I, we have a lot to dig into there. Um, let's start all the way back at the non-target school. Was there any on-campus recruiting? Was it, how did you know investment banking was your dream job? No, just kidding. How did you know that investment banking was an option even coming from this small school? So I actually had no no knowledge in investment banking. I graduated from high school. I wanted to be a human rights attorney. I wanted to save the world, specifically women. And I ended up uh, taking economics courses. Um, it was part of the international relations discipline at my school. And that's what I ironically thought that I would major in. And I wrote a paper and it was on a cardinal health acquisition. And basically um, my economics professor took that paper and gave it to an alum that was visiting that day. Um, she was a director at a bulge bracket bank and said, you need to read this. So I suppose I did a good job on that paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but she read it, and she actually chased me down on uh, my campus green. 
And I, I oh my goodness, I, I can only imagine what she saw that day because I don't think I had gotten sleep. <laughs> I was, I was, I definitely. Were you in like, were you in like sweatpants and the typical like college attire, being just like a the oh, slob like I was? It's, oh, it's so much worse. I had just attended a protest, so I was wearing a protest T-shirt, <laughs> and I had like that. So, and that's why I hadn't slept because I spent an entire an entire night prepping posters. So, oh my gosh. She, so she introduced herself and she talked to me and she said, have you heard of investment banking? And I said, oh, like those are the guys that caused the financial crisis, right? In 2008. <laughs> and like I've read all about introductions on Wall Street Oasis and none of them have included this. I can't imagine that made the best impression. That's funny. Um, but she kind of talked to me about it and she said, no, it would be such a great opportunity. You should really look at it. You seem to have a good head for the business. So I started going to info sessions on campus. Um, we had info sessions for, I can list just a few of the banks. Uh, the main one was Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Mm -hmm. um, a couple other banks used to recruit about 10, 15 years ago, but as those alums, um, you know, in some cases died out, in some cases retired, those opportunities went away. Got so it. I would say that my, my pool was a semi-target because we had one school recruiting but if i'm being honest with you they only took one to two people every year from right you know my entire graduating class but we'll call it a semi-target because there's probably a very small percentage of the kids actually targeting this career anyways right or, well actually that's not necessarily true, not true. Um, okay we actually had a very large number of kids that were interested and the reason why is because banks are one of the few organizations that still sponsor ah. and they take people from a broad array of backgrounds. So international students were super, super interested in banking. I think where they struggled was recruiting domestic students because if I'm being honest with you, my protest attire was a lot more typical for a student on my campus than <laughs> a suit and you know my resume printed out and going to an investment banking info session. So from that first meeting where you, know, you kind of made that probably maybe negative impression, but it didn't seem like she cared um, to, the, to the banker, I don't know if she was a VP of some sort. And she convinced you to come to the dark side and join investment banking or like, how did it, how did it happen? How did it, like, what was the next step? Or was it like you were basically, they were so impressed with the paper that you were given a super day right away. There was, was there, right. you know, how did, how did it all go down? So, so the first step was discovering Investopedia existed. <laughs> um, and that was, uh, that was me just Googling what is investment banking, what is the process. And it's kind of funny because at first when I attended the info sessions, I had no understanding of how competitive the process was. It wasn't until I started, um, you know, my, this is my freshman year. So let me give you a little bit of background. Right. Sure. So this is my freshman year of college. It's second semester. Like I'm prepared to go abroad for a summer to study a language. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh, investment banking. Like this is something that I could totally just walk into. Uh, no, um, that is not the case. Um, I, you know, I think it was during that summer that I kind of solidified my desire to do this because what everyone had told me was, oh, this is such a great opportunity. You're going to meet a lot of great people. And for a kid coming from a small town, that was so, so attractive to me. The opportunity to brand myself, you know, without necessarily going to a Harvard, Yale, Princeton or something like that. Mm -hmm. So the first step after that was really just figuring out who I could talk to. 
So I started with kids who had interned in an investment bank and not gotten offers because I figured I could make a horrible impression on them and it wouldn't be that big of a deal <laughs> because they didn't get offers anyway. How did you know? So how did you know? Th- how did you screen for kids who had an internship and didn't get an offer? You like put it into LinkedIn and just started reaching yeah. out. One thing you learn as a college freshman, especially a college freshman woman, is how to stalk people really effectively on the internet. Okay. Um, you do this with all Tinder matches. <laughs> so I, I just, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I just completely stalked them. You know, I looked up if they didn't have like photos celebrating an offer on Facebook, they probably didn't get it. You know, That's and that funny. actually turned out to be super accurate. Um, if they didn't, if they didn't have it on LinkedIn, they probably didn't get it. That was probably the easiest way to check. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also just like through the grapevine. So right? did so you grad? Like, did you graduate to people who actually did get an offer? So you started out like just trying to get information from the people who didn't, so that if you messed up, you didn't sound you didn't sound stupid. Um. Well, I did graduate with kids who did get offers. Okay. But the nice thing about the nice thing about the whole process is that at least on my campus, kids were you know if if you if you like met one person and then you met a second person and it was clear that you had growth it wasn't that big of a deal and it was the kids who didn't get offers who were honestly the most lenient that's something i realized later on but my immediate logic again i i was not a very smart college student my immediate logic was oh these people didn't get offers so like I can just like ask them all my dumb questions. Not the greatest approach. Not something I'd recommend, but it's something I did. Okay. Um, and so I eventually did it help? It helps you. It it sounds like it helps you. At least get a tremendous the, amount. Okay. I learned the do's and don'ts. Um, you know, people were so honest with me. Like there were things like this is what you don't do, and it was like a full list of things I was actually doing. And these are things you do do. And like it was simple things like you know don't ask questions that are Googleable. Um, one person actually helped me put together a list of questions that I should ask, like, MDs and directors. So, like, more, like, long-range, like, industry-specific, like, what's the outlook in the, of the industry type of questions, and then stuff that you ask, like, analysts and associates. So you, I think VPs are the hardest. You'd, like, sound smart, but, basically. Um, basically, show that you've done your research, stuff like that. Precisely. Yeah. And that, I would say that, that that process took about a month. So that was, like, August to like mid September, and then around mid September, and this is my sophomore year, yep. so we're speeding up a little. Um, around mid September is when I started reaching out to people. So I started with alums from my college, and they were great. And then I just started getting super aggressive. Um, and this is where I really honed. I think I developed skills. Honestly, they're, they're the most valuable skills that I developed in college. Like they, those skills carried me through every single career change I have made. Um, and it was really just how to talk to people, how to read people, how to understand cues. You know, if a relationship isn't a click, I understood when that didn't happen and like when to let it go. Those those are really important things. Um, I, I, I by the end of it, I mean, I had talked to something like 200, 250 plus um, bankers on Wall Street. Wow. And, you know, kids used to ask me all the time how are you talking to XYZ person? And I would like not even have any idea because like they're just in such a chain of people, <laughs> you know, that I talked to that I was like, I have no idea where this introduction even came from. So do you feel like and, you were you were just able to lever each connection you made, you were able to get one or two more from that? Like you'd always follow up at the end and 
Yeah. Yeah. So I think the advice that I usually give people is this. You have to approach every conversation with this idea that you can't waste their time and you want to make it interesting for them. So like, remember I talked about those stalking skills? Well, I've reprised them with this. So let's say I'm talking to, you know, John Doe and he's an analyst in, I'm, I'm going to give you an actual case. So sure. he's an analyst in leverage finance. He went to a school that was actually kind of geographically close to mine. Oh, look, you know, he did tennis. My whole family is obsessed with tennis. You know, why don't I research, like, what's the latest, I, you know, I'm not that familiar with tennis, what's the latest, like, Grand Slam happening? Who won? What's the significance of it? Right. You know, and kind of integrate that into a conversation, so I make it a little fun for him. And I think that, like, people, here's the thing that people don't understand. Everybody knows the tricks you're using. They weren't born yesterday, and they did the exact same thing themselves. But they appreciate when they see that you're putting in the effort to do it. Right. You know, it's like you're not just like and I think, dialing cold yeah. and completely cold and aren't prepared. That's everything. You, you, exactly. you, yeah, exactly. I sure. never asked anything more than an introduction. Um, I would usually leave it open. So I would always start with like sometimes like with certain phone calls, if I knew someone was a little drifty, I used to always say, here's my here's like the schematic of this call. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to this was with analysts and associates, never senior bankers like. Okay, I'm going to ask you three questions about the recruiting process. I'm going to ask you three questions about the, you know, analyst life and, like, what it means to be a really good analyst. And then if time is left over, you know, I would love to ask you a couple more questions about whatever. Or, no, 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 it was three questions about them, three questions about the recruiting process, and three questions about analyst life. That, that was how I did it. And, and like, how, how long do those calls typically been- take? That sounds like a, long, a lot of time. It is. I never got past the second question. <laughs> right. That's what I would figure. That's what I was about to say. I'm like, if you actually got through all the, all of those, that's a lot. Sorry? I was like, that's going to be a long, that's going to be like an hour long conversation. They, I'm surprised. Did you put that in the initial email and it didn't scare off a lot of people? Your conversion rate was high? I didn't put it in the initial email. I didn't okay. put it in the initial email. I okay. said it in the initial like one minute of the call. I would be like, got whatever it. time we have, this is what I want to cover. And they and a lot, this is only with a very specific type of person. Mm-hmm. Like this is with a guy who seemed a little drifty, maybe did a bunch of weird stuff on, on LinkedIn. And like, that was actually like a solid number. I would say that was 50% of my calls. And it went over really well because people like, especially bankers, they like structure. Right. They're in this field for a reason. So when I said something like that, they were like, okay, she's like got through this call. She like knows what she's doing. Yada, yada, yada. You know right. what I mean? Right. And I never got past the second question. It was almost always a conversation about about you and your journey and your experience in <clears> thinking. And, like, there were a lot of things that I could sympathize with. So, like, if somebody talked about being a history major and not knowing, like, basic math stuff, like, that's something I would be like, oh, yeah, I totally get that. Like, yeah. regional studies major over here. I, I understand that even though, like, I did advanced mathematics in high school, but we're not going to talk about <laughs> Um, if somebody was like on the pre-med track, I was like, oh my goodness, I wanted to be a doctor. Like the duration of my time in high school, my dad's a doctor. I'm Asian. This is how it works. Yeah. Um, That's funny. So like there are little things like that that you can sympathize with people and it makes them more human. Very cool. So tell me a little bit about, so you started kind of reaching out. You had all those networking calls. Uh, I assume, did you, were you able to meet anybody in person? Did you do a trip or was it all just over the phone? So I did a lot of trips to New York City, and I was also broke. So I ended up, I had a couple of friends who lived in New York, and I would just crash on their couches. And it was actually really kind of awful because I would say things like in a call where I thought like, or not even in a call, in an email where I thought, 
you know, I, I maybe talked to them one to two times, maybe three times. And I would be like, Hey, I'm in New York city on this date. And I would be like simultaneously booking my like Chinatown bus tickets <laughs> for $17 to get from Massachusetts to, um, yep. to New York city and be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to be in New York on these dates. Like, let's talk um and did you and i would like sleep on couches and it was oh my goodness it was horrendous there was one point where i had like i had two outfits for networking and i used to swap the sweaters and they would look like new outfits and i realized i kept meeting i met 25 people at jp morgan and i realized i kept meeting people in the same outfit so i started like changing it up and i remember (laughs) i like dove into a gap and near times square and like bought a new sweater just so people wouldn't think i couldn't afford another suit (laughs) It was that's pretty awful. So funny. Well, no, good. I mean, that's awesome hustle. I'm so, yeah, I remember those old Chinatown buses. I used to make that trip as well. Um, I think it was like there was like the Peter Pan, there was the Lucky Star, there was the yeah. Half of them like blow up and turn on fire, so you got to be careful, ready to run out. But um, exactly, it was it was so bad. It's yeah, it's not the best way to travel, but. Um, Okay, so you're you're doing all these trips. You're it sounds like you're hustling. You're gonna you're gonna make it, obviously, because you're. It sounds like you got really determined. Like it's just something you decided. And is I, that is that has that I always been the case with you? Like you when you find you when you figure out you want something and you just go after it. Yeah, I tend to be obsessive. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone has their own approach to doing things. My approach is like knock down walls. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was so determined. I remember there were a lot of kids getting interviews with banks. Um, and, you know, I just remember getting so disillusioned because here I am like very much farther ahead than just about any kid, um, any, any kid who was comparable, like sophomore, junior or senior. And mm-hmm. I was like not getting where I needed to be. And why do you think that you know, was just the school? I mean, it's, it's slightly controversial to say, but I think like, especially <clears throat> at certain schools, like, they, they're looking for a very specific type of person um, and they're looking for it to round out their classes. And that, like, a lot of times I didn't fit that profile necessarily. And I also think the other reason and the far bigger reason was that I was super young. You know, I was, I mean, we're, we're talking about me doing this recruiting when I was 19 years old. I was a sophomore. I was trying my best to, you know, get my foot in the door. And people were like, why aren't you going to do this? Why aren't you doing this when you were a junior? The process wasn't, wasn't what it is now. So now you have to recruit a year out, year and a half out. My sister just successfully got an S- a sales and training gig. And by the way, she is like a 3.1 and 1.5. So like <laughs> her getting that from a non-target was insane. But I want to interview, I want to interview her too. <laughs> she's, She's amazing. I mean, I'll be I'll be honest with you. She is so amazing. Um, she cool. did the exact things I did. Like she was super aggressive with networking. I. But so I, so this I, is I your sophomore. Was, you're trying to get a summer. You're basically trying to get a sophomore summer internship, right? And so you're like a year early. People are like, what are you doing? This isn't the time. You you weren't using any uh, diversity or accelerated recruiting programs or anything like that at this point, or you were. I did some. Uh, I did a couple, but I am. I'm, you know, I'm a Asian woman, and so that necessary that wasn't necessarily again the profile that people were looking for with the diversity hires. Got it. Um, but again, like every single person who was at the diversity events, regardless of what made them diverse, was insanely qualified and just right. super brilliant and super super smart. So, in no way do I want to diminish those accomplishments because that would be awful of me. 
that said, like, again, people were looking for a certain profile, um, especially for the diversity events. And I don't mean that as in race. I mean that more as in, you know, school and things like that. Got like, it. When I was school and like finance days, major or whatever, people who've shown like a drive yeah. for that. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. And they were looking for like the finance major. They were looking for the kid, you know, that had gone to Harvard and also started a I don't know. I'm, I met this kid at one diversity event that absolutely blew my mind. He had founded like a microfinance organization mm -hmm. and it was a whole thing. I remember questioning like, why are you here? <laughs> but, um, so, okay. So, so you, anyways, you're hustling anyways. So what happens? You don't get a summer internship your sophomore year. What's the outcome? So I did get it. And okay. I, I think the main reason I got it was because of the networking. And so basically what happens is I get dinged from like three things. And that is like heartbreaking for me. Mm -hmm. um, I, after this one rejection from Bank of America Merrill Lynch, I remember just curling up in my bed and I spent an entire weekend crying my eyes out because there was another girl who had gotten it for my school and she had not talked to a single banker. And right before her interview, I had to explain to her what investment banking was and it killed me on the inside. Oh my gosh. <laughs> her, her dad was like a major, major trader on Wall Street. And like, she was the sweetest girl, but I just remember doing that. And I just like, something inside me just died. Yeah. So You're I like, this is not fair. <laughs> not okay. Yeah. So I ended up like crying my eyes out on the weekend. And then I sent in the application for the bank that I eventually ended up working for. And I got invited for an interview. And I remember like, um, the alum from that particular bank mm -hmm. called me and it was in December and it was like right before we were all leaving for holiday and I was on this cruise ship and I'm, ter I'm terrified of heights and I'm leaning over the rail of the cruise ship before it's like left the dock to continue getting reception and talk to her <laughs> and I was like oh my goodness I was so nauseous <laughs> you're lucky you didn't like uh, lose your breakfast when you were talking to them <laughs> oh my goodness I was that was so bad. Um, there, there's so many moments in this where the call where I've said that was terrible, but that's really what it is. And I think if there's any takeaway from my experience, I, I think it really is relationships are everything. Um, I think that's true for anybody. Mm -hmm. If you if you are a young person and you are from a non-target or a semi-target like me, and if you don't fit a certain profile, and if you're you know you didn't grow up you know knowing about this industry and you know, I had to, honestly, when I got my internship, I called my parents and they were devastated. Like my mom cried for three hours and she was like, I cannot believe you're becoming a bank teller. I took you from college and you're becoming a bank teller. Are you joking? That's and I had so to explain funny. to her what investment banking was. I love it. I love it. It was a whole thing. You know, there's a, there's an ad. Have you seen those? Have you seen those really old Adam the Analyst, um, like cartoons? where he's trying to explain I to us. I got to show you that. I'll link to it in the show notes. It's uh, Adam the Analyst. It's like these really funny monotone old cartoons where like Adam yeah. the Analyst is, he's like trying to explain to people like it's funny situations. One of them's with his mom trying to explain to her what an investment banker does. <laughs> no, it's terrible. It's great. All these kids, I remember like in my incoming intern class, all these kids are like, oh yeah, like my parents are so happy about this. And I'm sitting here like, my parents think I can't pay rent. Like that's the situation that's right so now. Funny. So, so, so they get over um, it. You end up accepting, obviously. Um, and tell me about that summer. What was it like? It was terrible. Um, I absolutely hated it. I tell was me why. The first woman on. So I was in capital markets, um, and I was the first woman on that desk in five years. Mm -hmm. um, 
there were there was a lot of difficult stuff that happened. I mean, I'm not, you know, I was I I grew up in a post nine eleven world in a very tiny town that is ninety seven percent white. And I am more than used to insensitive comments and bad things happening. Like when I was a when I, I remember when I was a little girl in third grade, my teacher wouldn't let me stand up for the Pledge of Allegiance because you know, on the anniversary Jeez. of nine eleven, because she said my people had done this. So we're not talking about someone who's sensitive here. Like I'm not at all, but there were some awful, awful things that were said to me during that summer. I came away super demoralized. But one thing I'm, I su- you know, I'm surprised lot. that this isn't that long ago, right? I'm yeah, surprised that that's still. I guess maybe it's just group dependent. Like it's a super like different groups are a little it bit is. more progressive than others. But it sounds like that is that one's back from the '80s or something. <laughs> like, no, it absolutely is. Yeah, and it's like I. For me, you know, I ended up staying with the same firm for years. If you think about it, like I was there for those two summers and then I was there for another two years, really two and a half years after. And I stayed there for a while Mm -hmm. and it really is group dependent. You know, you can join one group and they're absolutely fantastic and you can join another group and they're like descended from Satan. Terrible. So can you tell me like some of the stuff that happened to you? Was it just like, was it uh, racist, sexist? What was it more just like? It was was mainly racist and sexist, honestly. And Mm. and I didn't tell anybody because A, it's really difficult to go to HR with these kinds of things. Like people will say, oh, you totally can. Yeah, you can't. The reality is you can't. You don't want to be the person that does that. Yeah, it's really hard to. It's really hard to. It's hard. It's really hard. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I... I, there, there were some things that were said to me that were really, really nasty, and I'm not going to repeat because they were so inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, let's, let's keep this podcast G-rated. Um, <laughs> I can put the explicit but, mark on it, actually, after, so it's not a problem. <laughs> but yeah, okay. go ahead. No, that's fine. You don't have to. You, whatever yeah, you're comfortable I'll, I'll sharing, it's fine. I'll save it, but there were. it was just really unacceptable. Um, some people use I'll, – I'll give you – okay, I can give you a few examples. Some people use the C word, mm-hmm. not okay. No. Um, when we were talking about certain things, I heard – this was also the same year that um, the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage. Mm-hmm. That was a really big deal. Um, I heard some homophobic slurs from mm-hmm. my group. Like, I'm talking, like, 80s stuff, like, nasty stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I – I was, there was a holiday from my, from my faith, um, that we were celebrating and I never took off a day of work. I worked insane hours. I worked coverage hours, even though I was in a capital markets group and there were some really disparaging comments about that, mm-hmm. which I was like, I, I don't know why that should even, even be something you discuss because frankly, I haven't confided to anybody at this firm that I'm celebrating it. Um, right. and it was nasty stuff and I, I, I left super demoralized. I was like, Oh my goodness. I cried my eyes out when I, you know, when I didn't get it, I cried my eyes out out of happiness when I finally got it, you know, when they called me with my offer. So a lot of tears and I I did it for this. (laughs) This is terrible. Yeah. And so this is, this is like your experiences after that first sophomore summer. So I'm surprised you came back. Was it more like, Hey, I just got to see this through and be strong. And, and what did you, I guess, how did you how did I assume you wanted to get to a different group, right? And you thought, hey, maybe it'll be better at a different group. Yeah. And how did you so even know to things. ask for that? So there were two things. The first yeah. one was I knew, I literally knew after like the fourth or fifth week that there was no way I was getting an offer um, just based on my group liking me. That was not going to happen. So I networked like a demon. And, mm-hmm. and I do mean like a demon. I had no shame. I mm-hmm. would 
email heads of groups or stuff like that, and I would make it very well known that I was getting coffee with them. I'm talking about stuff like walking up to like my VP and being like, hey, do you know where so-and-so's office is located? Because I can't find it on this floor. But like, again, that got the message across. Right. Um, so you were basically, a, you were showing that you had no fear, that you had nothing to lose. You were going to just basically go up and network and be yeah. aggressive. Yeah. And, when and you, I was really aggressive about it. Were you using that as a signal? Sorry, were you using that as a signal of some sort? You, it seems like you were trying to make that clear. A little bit. I was using it as a signal. I honestly, part of me didn't even care if I got the offer. Part of me was just like, I'm going to squeeze out as many relationships as I can because yeah. my recruiting process taught me the importance of relationships. Yeah. But I think that scared them enough because there was one analyst that I was really close to in my group who later on actually ended up getting fired. But that's a story for another time. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he literally told me, he was like, we didn't like nobody wanted to have to explain why we fired you with all these people that you were grabbing coffee with. So we just like gave you the offer because we just didn't want to deal with it. Like one intern was not worth it. So I was like, okay, that works. (laughs) That's a really important lesson right there. There's like, well, she's too well connected. Even just from a summer internship, you got too well connected into the firm that you did. They didn't want to have to explain to like these three senior people why you, you, Oh my goodness. I was so good about it. There was, I remember there was one guy that just drank a ton of veggie juice and I brought in veggie juice in the morning for the duration of that. (laughs) 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 And and I'm not even joking. He was like a global head of like such and such. I'm not going to say what's a little identifying. And I was like trading recipes with him. And then there was another guy who I found who's like, um, who's like daughter and granddaughter had like, attended my school and I found that out like just through like the grapevine and I like made sure to like create a relationship with him and I used to meet him all the time and he was a really gregarious guy so he would like yell my name across the floor because like capital market style um you sit on a trading cell floor yeah um oh my goodness it was I like now that I think back on that I was like wow that was really smart and then also a big part of me is you had massive cones to pull yes you did Yes, you did at what twenty years old. Um, yeah, but that's I think that's a small town kid coming out, like this scrappy small town kid being like, "What do I really have to lose?" Like, worst comes to worst, my parents will absolutely support me switching to being a doctor. Do you feel like that's? <laughs> do you feel like doing that? So, doing if you had not done that, you would have not gotten the offer. The, the group did not like you. It's pretty obvious, right? So, like, oh, you just didn't now. you just didn't fit in. You weren't one of the guys, right? So, it, it seems pretty obvious you wouldn't. Yeah. You would have, it would have been a, a struggle. Um, do you feel like that's the case for most groups? Do you feel like it sounds like my guess is that most, most young women in, in your situation would have actually really struggled in that seat just because a lot of people at 20 years yeah. old, I know at least myself at 20 wouldn't have, wouldn't have the cojones to go up to heads of groups and trading and be like, Hey, like, let me get you some juice. And, you know, making all these connections. I know you had kind of honed that yeah. skill over the previous year, but t- talk to me a little about that, about how other women yeah. can kind of, if it maybe not, n- not as aggressive as you, but how, what else can they do? What else can, like, okay, so what can they do in your situation? If they, if they don't, if they don't, they don't have the confidence that you have. Um, to do that, okay. what, how else can they protect themselves? That's really, really tough. Um, I think the first thing is to make sure your work is unimpeachable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. I would, I would talk to HR quite a bit. Um, I would be in constant discourse with your recruiting partner, and not just about like, oh, the group doesn't like me. Like, don't say that. Don't ever say that to HR. 
right. Um, that's not a good idea. Um, I think it's more. Just you don't want to be causing headaches for HR, but you're saying being in touch with HR about like different groups and yeah. where, what your future is and yeah, that's it. Different okay. groups, talking to different groups, and then I think, and this is this is maybe a little counterintuitive. I think that any any if you're going to be in banking, you need to know how to talk to people and you need to develop that confidence. I don't care if you are a summer analyst or if you are a first year associate that graduated from Harvard. You need to know how to talk to people, and so I think the biggest thing is. If you're in coverage, this wouldn't work. But if you're in capital markets, you need to approach someone senior. I'm talking a director or someone, and you need to be brutally honest. Like, talk to your staffer first. Figure out how your performance is. Go to your director. Go to someone senior and say, yeah, I've talked to my staffer. Here's, here's, like, here's some of the things that I'm thinking about my performance. Here's some of the things that, like, other people have said about my performance. Here's the projects I've worked on. What do you think? What can I do to be one of the best analysts? you have ever seen and when you put it really directly like that some directors like that some directors really dislike that it, it depends i would never do that in the coverage situation why coverage why is it so different for D- why is it so different capital markets to cut to coverage capital markets is a lot flatter in hierarchy the hierarchy is still there but you're sitting with your director and your md and a camaraderie develops there and they're mm. more open to talking to juniors whereas in coverage the directors and the MDs are behind closed doors, as are the VPs in some situations. That's very much firm specific. Yep. Um, You're like in a bullpen and, with all the juniors and the associate analysts and associates and interns are kind yeah. of like the <laughs> they're in the cages yeah. in the middle of the in the middle of the firm and the the directors if and MDs. If you're, in the, if you're in the analyst bullpen, I think what's more important. I mean, you obviously have to, have to understand group dynamics, but I think it's more important to understand the analyst bullpen. So understanding like who's the best associate. Who's the best analyst? Who do I need to work with? Who absolutely sucks? Who does this director really hate? Which was something I had to learn the hard way. Mm-hmm. Um, and like those dynamics are super important. But when, when you're within a capital markets group, they'll maybe have like one to two analysts. It just depends. I I have not really seen capital markets groups with three analysts, um, yeah. but that's happened, I'm sure. So, you know, within those tinier groups, you can you can really you, you can talk to seniors much much more easily. Makes sense. Um, the seniors will anyways be interacting with them a lot. So I think I think you should just lay all your cards out on the table because again, what do you really have to lose? You know, lay your cards out on the table and say, here's what I think my performance is. Here's how it actually is. Here's how the projects I'm working on. What do you think? What can I do to be the best analyst I can possibly be? I'm collecting feedback from everyone and just talk to them. If you're if you don't have a very high EQ, again, just be upfront, and people are going to respect that. Sorry, you, you said know? it's cut out. If you don't have a very high EQ, do what? If you don't have a very high EQ, don't play games. Like, don't play games. games. Don't play games. Terrible idea. Yeah, yeah. Just you be know, direct. Don't try to do what I. Did. Yeah. <laughs> don't do what you did. Okay. No, don't do what I did. Well, it it protected I you in a sense. It it protected. Did they did did the the rest of the group kind of get a sense and like know what you were doing? Yeah, I'm sure they did. I mean, yeah. these guys are much smarter than I am. They have played far mm. more complex games than I have. Um, I'm certain they knew exactly what I was doing. But what were they going to do to stop me? Yeah, they were could. they going to sit me at my desk and be like. You can't meet with a senior person. Yeah, good luck explaining that one. Yeah, true. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So, okay, so, yeah. so tell me, so you kind of went through a really tough sophomore summer analyst gig, and then how did you kind of angle for a different a different group? 
<clears throat> were you trying to get cover well, you're trying to get to coverage it was that the goal or what was the what was the kind of the end goal yeah so i didn't really have to angle because they required you to leave the group you were in your first summer anyway if you were a sophomore intern got it okay so that was pretty good um but actually the way i got my junior summer is actually quite funny so i had developed all of these really great relationships with really really senior people my first summer right yep which was awesome and you know i I actually, that paid off massively because when I started looking at opportunities, I knew I wanted to go to a group that had a great culture and one that had amazing deal flow. I wanted one of those like prestige style groups. And there were two groups that I was immediately pointed to. Um, for the sake of anonymity, I'm not going to say which ones they were. Yeah. But one was significantly more fratty. The other was like, they had their frat moments, but they were like, they were for people. I think that that group was more for people that were gregarious. Like, outgoing had their thing but weren't necessarily all the same right and i fit in much so call, call it group one and group two i fit in much more with group two yep and i went to these managing directors um that i had gotten to know um one of whom i, I didn't want to go to the alum for my school that person because i had cultivated a great relationship with her but i, I didn't want to keep asking her for stuff yeah like fatigue real <laughs> when you keep asking people for stuff like yeah. don't do that yep um too so many favors other people, so I, yeah yeah so i went to these other people and i was like you know i i really want to go to this group and they were like oh i got you like we got this and they basically cc'd the entire junior analyst class uh not junior analyst class but like the entire junior analyst like school from that group a good number of associates um, and, you know, and like, um, this woman who, um, who was like a really big deal in the bank. I, again, for the sake of anonymity, I'm not going to reveal who it was. Yep. And CC my old group MD, which I thought was hilarious and was like, and basically put down, like, I can confirm that she was excellent. And then my MD, um, my ex MD put down, yes. She handled herself with great maturity, and she was very detail-oriented and said all this nice stuff about me. I told I told my boyfriend later, I was like, I'm, I'm going to print out that email that my MD, my ex-MD wrote, like, nice things about me, and I'm going to frame it in the next apartment we move into. <laughs> <laughs> Is it because, do you feel like the ex, the ex, the ex-MD was saying that because he felt his, like his arm was, he, like, he, he couldn't yeah, kind of he disagree? Felt, he felt super pressured. Because again, everything in banking is about like capital, right? And mm-hmm. I and I mean that I mean that kind of as a pun, social capital to be specific. Yeah. His group had not been performing well for a fairly long time. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah. Um, it was one of the worst groups in the bank, and so yeah, he felt his arm was twisted because he was talking to, you know, people that were in one of the best groups in the bank. What was he going to say? Oh yeah, this MD is giving her this great recommendation. He's full of shit. Like that's not true. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was not going to happen. Right. There was a lot of peer pressure there. So I ended up getting into that group. No surprise there. And I had a fantastic summer. That summer was awesome. And I, you know, never accept an offer on the spot. That's my advice to any young summer analyst. Don't sign on the spot. But wait, before you get to that, the, the, the summer, let's talk a little bit about that. What made it so great? Yeah. The people. It's always the people. And did you, know, you did you I feel like the work product the work was really different though, right? Because you're now in coverage. Were you doing modeling? <laughs> and did you feel like coming from a liberal arts college or small college? Did you feel like you were prepped? You were ready? 
no. Um, (laughs) How did you survive that? How did you survive that? I came in by myself on the weekend, and I would just practice. Okay. And if I didn't come in on the weekend, because there was one time I came in on the weekend, there were always analysts there, but this one particular analyst staffed me, and I was like, oh, crap. So I started going going to the um, public library, and I would just practice. And I put in horrendous hours summer oh my goodness I what were you working I was dating my boyfriend at the time and he was like I never saw you (laughs) and that's the truth um but because of that I became one of the most popular summer analysts in that group when were you when were you getting in during the day and when did you leave at night or in the next morning so I was getting in around 9 Mm a.m and I was leaving it depended I could leave anywhere between midnight and 3 Mm a.m there was one time I stayed until 5 a.m that was pretty awful yep I remember, I remember I stayed until 5 a.m. and we were allowed to come in at 11 a.m. And I met my associate, who is such a nice guy, like in the Union Square subway station. And he just kind of waved to me and was like, hello there. You don't look rested at all. And I said, no, I'm not. You're like, I'm going <laughs> home. I'm not going into the office right now. <laughs> That's funny. I was like, no, we were both going into the office together. And it was, oh, God. It was actually very funny. But he... But yeah, I, you know, I went from, I think, being one of those, like, average summer analysts, my first, like, I would say three weeks, to being a really, really, really good summer analyst. And again, the gender ratio was not improved, for the record. Yeah. You know, we had no women in the senior team. Yeah. None. <laughs> we had barely any, we had, no, we had no women in the VTs either, now that I think about it. But tell me we about, had, tell me about, like, the, that transition before we get into, like, the gender ratio. What? What, like, okay, the first three weeks, is it just because you, were, you weren't, like, was it the actual technical skills that you were building? Is that why? Or was it because you just, yeah. you kind of got in with the right people at the right t- team and you knew how to work with them? I think this was entirely merit-based. Um, I just had the skills. I had the, you know, I was super enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. I would always ask everyone, what can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? And then I would focus on absolutely killing it in whatever I did. And, like, you're going to make mistakes as part of it, but the trick is be super detail-oriented. And I know everyone does that, so I'm going to flesh that out a little. Like, make sure your numbers are as accurate as you can make them. Make sure the format looks clean, right? If you need, like, there is no such thing as reinventing the wheel in banking. You can find a precedent. Go and check the precedent, you know? Yeah. Make what, sure that how, how do you how do you check your numbers? How do you make do any tips on to make sure that your numbers are right? I know I have um, one. If honestly, you don't, no, no, it's okay. Honestly, for me, I would pull out. So we got these models that were for practice, and I would pull out and I would punch in like whatever you know. I would just like trade in for the numbers I had and see if I got similar numbers. That's really it. Did I you, would just use a model that had already been done that I knew was perfect, and I would punch in the numbers, and I would see if they were somewhat close. When you were, did you ever have to print out? Did you ever print out analyses and like look at it on paper? I felt like that would always help me, like just sense checking it on paper versus. Yeah, I did that. I did that a lot. And then when you're turning like a PowerPoint, they would have this thing where like you'd look at the turns and then you'd confirm yep. every single little thing done. You'd highlight each one as you went through. Did they do that as well? Yep. yep yeah. <laughs> just like did all of that super detail oriented I put it in PowerPoint I, I a lot of times I would also they had these like ways that you could print out um, do you remember how 
since you were in banking as well, do you remember how, like, on the Excel sheet, you have, like, the pages and the one page or two page, and you can just, like, print out a sheet in Excel yep. and double check it? Yep. I did that a lot. Yeah. That was something I did. And then you see a number that makes um, no sense. Right. You're like, wait a second. <laughs> Let me yeah. go back. Yeah. I, did, I did a lot of just, like, I wanted to catch stupid mistakes, so the precedent model stuff is really what I did. Mm-hmm. Because if I miss a certain detail here or there, fine, right? Yeah. But I want to make sure that my basic, basic, basic stuff is right. Yeah. Um, formatting. I mean, no one starts you with a model. Like, maybe some crazy people do, but like, for the most part, nobody like threw a model at me my first day and was like, "Go do this." Right. <laughs> you know, it was more like I was thrown like formatting stuff or like basic stuff, like put together a pin, you know, stuff like that. Right. And then the responsibilities grew over time. And I and honestly, by the time I was ending my summer. You know, it's always good when you hear people say things like, oh, why can't you, why can't we just keep you? Why can't we just start now? Like, do you really need to go back for your senior year? Right. That's a really good one. That's when you know you're going to get the offer. And I did get the offer. <laughs> but you didn't accept it right away. No, of course not. Thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way. Patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.